This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast. And today we have a guest we have away from New York City, Evan Jaley. Evan Jaley is a partner with FFO and has a really unique perspective and service offering that I thought was extremely important for us to go over. So, Evan, tell us a little bit about your business and who you serve. Sure. First, I just want to say thank you for having me. So, FFO is a family office servicing company. And what we do is we are a single family office service provider to multiple families. That's the key of what we do. So we're virtual. We can work with a client anywhere they are in the world. And there's a lot of different providers that a family would have that they're dealing with, their investment advisor, their attorney. We coordinate between all of those people to make sure that the family is getting whatever services they need, then we're essentially the COO and CFO of their personal lives. That's really what we're striving to do. If you were to look across your clientele, what does a a client of yours look like? What industries or pursuits do they entail? Well, we've actually got a very eclectic client group. We do have an entertainment and sports team group clients. That's probably 20% of our business, but 80% of our clients are business owners, uh, all first-generation wealth creators. So it's the actual wealth creator of the family. We don't have multiple generation family offices. We do have some first-generation that are now working to pass wealth down to the children, so Gen 2. Uh, which is a very exciting part of some of the things that we're doing for them Mm -hmm. and teaching them about managing money and how they do that. And so it really is, and it's across multiple businesses. We have people that are in fashion. We have people that are in the food industry. It's just business owners that have a lot of money and need help on the financial side on how to do it. And managing all the different vendors and projects and things that are going on. It's very eclectic. There are some folks going to say, so what's your background that got you into this field? Weren't you in a family office at one point? So I actually started at Rothstein Cass, which was a public accounting firm out of Roseland, New Jersey. I did audit for a couple of years, which was fun. (laughs) But then I knew it wasn't going to be my entire career. But I loved the firm and I didn't want to leave. So I was lucky enough where Rick Flynn, who is my Mm -hmm. partner at FFO, he was a client of Rothstein Cass and then he joined as a partner and started the family office practice. And I volunteered to move out of audit and into the family office group and hadn't looked back. So I came up with an audit background where you learn analytics. Why did this change? What's the reason? And, you know, you're trying to figure those things out. And that served me well because when I'm doing budgeting for a client or I'm doing long-term financial planning with their investment advisor, I'm coming at it from an audit mindset and I'm asking questions. Well, wait a minute. If you spent this last year, what was the reason it was less this year or more this year? What's going on? And this way, we can help the client understand that. I was thinking as we were chatting, you and I are familiar with family office. Some of the listeners may not know what a family office does, means, or is. Oh, that's right. That's true. Okay. So I guess the best way I can explain it 
is there's a single family office is when a family, a one single family that's ultra wealthy has their own Evan. So I'll use me. I work for one family and one family only, and I'm their CFO. I'm running home purchases and anything that they do runs through me and my office and all the staff. We only work for that one family. A lot of billionaires, that's what they have, single family offices. A multifamily office is when you, as the billionaire or the almost billionaire, lets a few of your friends in. Hey, you can't afford to have your own single family office, but you're my friend, so I'm going to let in three or four or five other families, which helps me negate some of my costs for the single family office. And it allows for the families to get those services from the team. So it gives them a little bit of growth and learning because you're not just working for one family. We are neither of those because we work for a lot of different families, but we're a multifamily office that really is working with many different families and we're not formed by one parent family that then has, we've let in a few friends. We come from the accounting firm world, so we have clients and they're all of our clients and they've come in. So what a family office basically does is everything financial that you would need, paying your bills, making sure your taxes are done. And the single family offices, you have a tax accountant that's working for you. You have tax preparers. You may not use an accounting firm. Some people will still use the outside accounting firm because, you know, you got technical expertise. But a lot of them, they have tax staff in-house and they do everything internally. So it really is having all of your financial aspects as if you were a business having your finance department fully housed under you. And that's really the core of what a typical family office does. But the higher level service that doesn't really get talked about at parties is the hard part, which is project management. And there's always projects. There's always something that a family needs. I'm buying a house. We're building a house. We're buying a house and tearing it down and building a house. All these different real estate scenarios. I want to buy a plane. Hey, I need to hire a nanny. I want to fire my chef. All the HR-related functions that go around having multiple homes. I need to know, what am I spending in this home versus that home? We actually got a client once mainly because it was a husband and wife, and the husband wanted to show the wife that she was spending too much money on clothes. The wife wanted us hired because she was saying, you spend more than me. Guess what? She was right. <laughs> so, hey, we won. You know, it's great. But what's really interesting when it's really about solving the problem that the family has, what's the reason they're in the room? And that's what a family office is supposed to do is solve those problems for the family so they can go on and do what they really want to focus on in life. For a person that's listening, you go, how much money do you need to have to make a standalone family office economically viable? So, I mean, there's no magic number. Mm -hmm. So uh, don't hold me to this. But when you go into the industry and you talk about it, it seems like when you start approaching a billion, like 750 million and up as you start to approach, then you've got the assets and you've got income that's coming in that you can really afford to do it. It doesn't mean that, oh, I'm worth 500 million, I can't do it. But the costs for having a single family office can be quite large. 
We've seen single family offices, they have their own investment team, they have their own tax team, they have their own accounting and bill pay team and finance team. Yeah, I mean, it could cost two, three, four million dollars in payroll for all those different people. So, you know, when you look at it that way, you really want to make sure you're not someone, oh, I make $10 million a year. Okay, then you probably shouldn't have a single family office and have a $4 million payroll because you're not going to be able to eat. So, you know, it's kind of balancing, but industry kind of looks at 750 million starting to kind of approach and up being able to do it. But then it also depends on liquidity and I'm worth $750 million, but it's all in my business and I only make 250 a year. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? I can't even afford an outsourced family office model. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on a lot of different factors. And for you guys, you function very much in what for me was a somewhat more unique term is a virtual family office setting. And Correct. let's kind of compare, contrast that in the family sure. office. Yeah. Yep. So as an example, so again, let's just use the single family office model. Um, a single family office would have Evan all to themselves. They would have a CFO, maybe even a president that's in charge of running the family office. They might have an investment team and the president or the COO of the family office has all those people in their office, runs down the hall, hey, we need this now for a family meeting, get me the info. And that's really the single family office. The virtual family office, we do all that coordination as well, but the investment advisor is not down the hall from me. So it's a matter of managing all the different professionals and all the different locations and just making sure that the family is getting whatever it is that they need. I'm not going to say it's easier because it's harder in that you're dealing with multiple different people in multiple different locations, but it's a little bit easier because we're all professionals that are hopefully agreeing to play nice in the sandbox. Whereas if it's a single family office, everybody's a professional, but there's usually one boss. And whatever that one boss wants, it may be a family member, it may be the president of the family office. And everybody drops what they're doing to please that one person, and you may end up having an issue. So, oh, I didn't get this for the family member because I was working on this for the other family member. Multi-family offices, that tends to, could be an issue too. I'm working for the main family that needs something done. I'm not going to work for family number two that may be more urgent because I have to please the first family that I'm working with. I think about competency. If you're a family office, <laughs> mm-hmm. you have the talents that you have, you know, and if you have a right. virtual family office, they may have a cross border. Who the heck knows? I want to buy an island somewhere else. And you go, we may not have that expertise in house. Right. Yeah. That's one of the reasons we've seen single family offices like tax, as an example, really still kind of use an outside tax firm is how much expertise can someone have inside of a single family office? They're only as good as what they've seen. Now, doesn't mean they can't go to seminars, webinars. Doesn't mean they can't go to other professionals that they know. Of course they can. But if you're inside of a firm and there's more people to go to to get that resource, it seems to be a trend that we're seeing more and more is they are outsourcing some things like that. So the virtual family office, you're not relying on me to be your investment person. I can't be your investment person. It's not what I do professionally, but I'm able to work with many different investment professionals and find the right one that makes sense for the client. Or if the client is working with someone, 
then, hey, they've never seen this issue. We have other resources that we can go to to ask questions on tax issues, legal issues that come up. So we're able to really work with any and many different professionals to, again, it keeps coming back to the root. I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself, but to get the client what they need. And that's ultimately what our main goal is. Whatever the clients are looking for, whatever their pain point is, our job is to make it go away and resolve the problem. Well, I think about as you talk about project management and skill sets, and you guys can bring to bear quantity of options or solutions, allowing that person to make the absolute best decision with the data at hand. Yeah. I mean, look, when we started the practice and we were talking about doing bill pay by the public accounting firm, I mean, they're working on hedge funds and doing real sophisticated planning. And we're talking about the best way to pay a phone bill. And so you're looking at that and that doesn't sound sexy. You know, you're paying a bill. What's the big deal? But the truth is it all starts with bill pay. Because if I see all the money that's coming in because I'm getting your bank statements and I'm doing your bank rec and I'm paying all of your bills, so now I see all the money going out, what's the bottom line? I get to see how much you're saving. I get to see how much you're spending. I can help you budget to save more. And then that allows that money to go to the investments, to different purchases that you may want. I want to buy a car. I want to buy an Aston Martin. Well, based on this, we're going to put money away from your savings. And in three months, it's a very technical term. We call it bucketing. And what we do is we create buckets for clients and we help them plan. Okay, you just bought this home and you've now got this debt. We're going to bucket. So when you get your paycheck, we're going to take that paycheck. This covers your regular expenses. This is going to go into investments but we're going to take this piece and we're going to put it into your home debt repayment bucket. And that bucket is still with the investment advisor. So it's being invested, but those funds are going to be able to be used so that at some point you've got enough to pay down the debt. It really starts with that. If you don't know what's coming in and going out, you can't do any of that future planning. I think about the horror stories we've heard. They make a lot of money and they have houses all over the place or they had no idea yeah. that their cash flow and they wake up broke one day. And for you guys, you know, I think about yeah. the accountability on cash flow and alleviating. Yeah. So for sake of argument, it starts with bill pay. So the first thing, what's the first question that you typically get when somebody's thinking about using you for bill pay? What do they ask? Well, the first thing that they should ask is what are your internal controls? How can I be sure you won't steal from me? That is not the first question I get asked. And honestly, a lot of times I don't get asked it and we volunteer it because we grew up in an accounting firm. So we have that internal control mindset and we've built those controls in so that no one individual can push anything out. What do they typically ask? Usually it's, okay, how are you going to pay the bill? I'm seeding control. And that's really the fear is mm -hmm. I'm giving you control how can I be sure the phone bill gets paid? And then it's really talking about process. How are we going to get the bill? Well, I want the bills to come to my home. Okay, inefficient because of this. So here's what happens. The bill comes to your home. Then you send it to me once a week. Now a week's gone by. Now we process it. Maybe it takes a week because we're getting it on a Monday. We put it in. We pay your bills Thursday. 
So you may end up now having late fees and then we're calling and dealing with that. So it's really about building the right process for the client so that they feel that they still have the control. And the good thing about technology these days, we couldn't do this back in 2002, 2003 when we started our practice at Rothcast. Now we can. The clients can log into the app, approve all the bills and have them go out. They don't have to give over signing authority to me or to Rick they have full control. So not every client wants that because they don't want to have to go in and do it. Some clients, they want the control, but then they don't actually go in and push things out and then things are laid. And then that, so again, it's about the process and just every client is different and you have to work out how is it going to work for that client. So Mm -hmm. I've now been using the bill pay service from you guys four, five, six months. What are the typical responses that you hear from that client once they've signed up and they have you do bill pay? What do they typically say to you guys? Well, the biggest thing that we get is I've gotten my time back, which is great. That's ultimately what we're trying to do is give you your time back. Let us do the administrative part. So that's something we get a lot from clients. But it really isn't about the bill pay, actually, because most clients, they're not worried about, well, my bills are on auto pay, so they just kind of come out and get paid. It's really about the budgeting. So what they're really asking is, hey, over the six months that you've been paying the bills, what am I spending? What do I look like? What am I saving? And that's where the budgeting comes in. So we do get people that have a lot of bills. Those people appreciate getting their time back. But I'd say the most common response to us paying the bills is, hey, that's great. I'm not worried about the bills. What's going on with my budgeting? What's going on with my spending? How do I look? And then we're able to help them, again, back to planning. That's the reason we do it. Shifting gears a bit, you know, I think about the skill set and time, getting your time back, and you kind of go, well, you only get so much time issued. If I'm a business mm-hmm. owner and my client helps business <laughs> owners and they've sold their business and they come talk yeah. to you, What would that conversation be like? Here's what we can do for you as a post-sale business owner. Yeah. So the, the interesting thing about when you're selling your business and now you've sold it is what's your next move? What's your next life? Are you staying on in the business and kind of, I'm still running the business, but now I've taken some equity out and all of a sudden I've got a lot of liquid cash. What am I doing with that? well, I'm just going to give it to my cousin. He's an investment advisor and I'm just going to give it to him and he's going to manage it. Okay. I don't know if I would recommend that. You know, I mean, I'm sure your cousin is very good, but that's where you want to help them understand, okay, you just came into some money. What do you want to do with it? The phrase shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations always seems to ring true unless a family does real good planning. And what you don't want is the owner who has now just sold to say, this money is going to last me, my lifetime, and my kid, their lifetime, and stop there. What we really want to work with them on is this planning, this money that you earn, depending on how much it is, obviously, Mm -hmm. but this money, we want to see how we can make it last for generations, multi-generations and help them kind of set it up for long, long long-term planning. And that's not easy. Not everybody has the ability to do that. And that's why we're working with different advisors, because some people have that experience and they've done that. So the first thing we really want to understand from the client is what is their goal? I mean, depending on the amount, some clients have come in and said, 
my kids aren't getting any of that. I'll give it all to charity when I'm gone mm-hmm. or I'm going to just spend it down. Okay, great. Now that person, here's the plan for that individual person. Now I want to be able to pay for my great, great grandkids to go to college. Oh, okay. Well, that's, then the money has to last longer. Here's how we're going to do that. And it's actually the power of compounding is immense when you're trying to do that kind of planning. Leave the money in the account because when you're leaving the money in, you're earning interest on interest on interest on interest for 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. All of a sudden, that dollar that you put in is worth a million. It's really important that they understand that. But if you don't understand the client's goals and what they're trying to accomplish, you're just going to get it wrong and then you're going to get fired. So that's the first thing we look for from them is what are you trying to get at? For the business owner that's contemplating sale and has not completed sale, do you guys interface with them very much prior to a sale? Yes, we do. We've had clients that have sold their business or they're thinking about selling their business. We've run scenarios with them. Here's what it looks like from a tax perspective. Here's what you would get out after the fact. Then we work with the investment advisor. If they sold this multiple and they got this amount of dollars, what would you do with it? How much money does it generate? Where are they living? Are they living in Florida? Oh, well, then you're going to get more. Oh, you're in New York City? Ooh, 13%. What are you going to do? We always advise our clients, don't move for tax purposes. It just doesn't make sense. Live your lifestyle. And if you wanted to move to Florida, great, move to Florida, but don't move just to save money on tax. A lot of people try to do that. A lot of people try to fake it. That's not good because you're going to get caught. Yeah, Puerto Rico comes to mind. Exactly. Yep. So I think about the de-risking that you do. So I'm a business owner. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about selling pre-sale. I own real estate. I own the company. I have a few other things. And he goes, so I think about scenario planning and looking Mm -hmm. at gaps. And you go, it's okay not to do A, B, C, or D, but it's not okay not to know. Right. Yeah. I mean, what we've done with clients, we've helped them do buy sells in their agreement. Okay. What happens if partner A passes away and now partner B, your partner's with partner A's wife. How's that working out for you? Then you've got issues that you have to deal with. So we've helped them think of that kind of planning, key man insurance that comes in to enable you to hire the next person that's going to maybe help keep the business afloat. There's lots of those issues in succession planning that they're not thinking about. Hey, I want to pass the company down to my children, but I have two children. One is very involved in the business and the other one isn't. So they're not going to get the running of the business per se, but should they be penalized economically because they wanted to be a lawyer instead of being in the food service business? No, they shouldn't. Or they should. I don't know. It depends on what the client is thinking. So those are conversations that we will have with them to kind of help just throw concepts at them so they understand, oh, you know what? I really have to think about this. Because they've never sold a business before. You know, they don't know. They're not thinking about it. I think about the quantity of experiences and scenarios that you guys have seen through the years. No telling. Yeah. Think about as you go through and you get cross-pollinated from really good minds and outside experts, and you go, have you considered there's a scenario similar to yours, and we Mm -hmm. did it this way, and this was the outcome. And, you know, I think many business owners and folks, they don't know what they don't know. Right. Doesn't mean they're not smart people. They just don't know. Right. And that's the thing is, it's not a knock on you. It's not a negative not to know. 
not every business owner is an international tax expert. I would venture to guess most of them are not, yeah. unless you're a business owner in an international tax firm. So, but people get, a lot of times you're talking to them and they're like, uh, you know, I don't really understand that. And I feel dumb. Why would you feel that way? I don't know the first thing about the construction business. Again, it's not what I do. But if I were talking to a construction owner, an owner of a construction business about what to do for his personal life, he's saying, ah, I don't really understand that. I don't know. I feel bad. Well, I don't feel bad that I don't know how to, the right way to put the bricks together so mm -hmm. that they don't fall apart. But it's really an interesting dynamic is a lot of times people are afraid of the finance because they don't understand it, but that's okay. You just have to be with trusted advisors and it's okay to seek multiple opinions from people on your team. Where I've seen clients get into trouble is Google. I love Google, but <laughs> they Google, oh, here's the tax law. Great. And it's like, well, not quite because what you Googled was for Georgia. We're actually talking about New York and, mm -hmm. you know, crazy things. States have different laws. So that's really where they run into trouble is I love that they want to educate themselves, but it's okay to ask your professional and say, I don't know. I've never had to deal with this before. I think about in your time frame of working with clients and so on, there's the client or the potential client that doesn't come in when you first talk to them and they do whatever yep. it is they do. And then they come in later and they go, geez, I wish I had known. So for given your experience of all these years and all of the mm -hmm. cases and all of the wisdom, if you were going to offer some advice to either somebody that just sold their business and is trying to figure out, well, one, these guys are in New York, those guys, the New Yorker guys. What advice, given your experience, would you offer to that individual to bridge the gap, for lack of a better term? Yeah, I think the most important thing that I would say is if it's after the sale, it's too late. It's not too late to get the right, but you really want to start building your team. If you don't have a team yet, you want to build your team pre-sale because after the sale is over and now you build your team, you'd hate for me to come in and say, oh, did you think about doing this? Oh my God, nobody told me, of course, because you didn't build your team after the fact. So I would really stress that if you're thinking about selling your business, bring in the team that you trust now. Bring them in, talk to them, scenario plan, talk about the structures, talk about bringing your tax advisor, talk about the tax planning. What are the ramifications? Those are the things that you have to do it before. An idea on how to save money on taxes, for example, or an idea on how to better structure it so your children keep the ownership that you want them to keep or have guidelines that they have to hit. It's too late if it's after the fact, but it's a common thing that people do is they hire their advisory team after the fact. They hire part of their advisory team before, but they bring in their accountant after the fact. Or they bring in their lawyer. Usually they'll bring in their lawyer because they got to negotiate the deal and they got to paper it. But maybe they won't bring in their estate planning lawyer. They didn't think about that. Oh, sorry. I just sold the business. And hey, here, update my estate plan. Yeah. Oh my God, I could have done this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And we could have passed some of that to your children tax free. I wish you would have told me before. I can't tell you how many times I've had that discussion with people where it's like, oh, okay. So, and it's not a small piece of advice. 
do it beforehand. And it's not a small piece of money. No, no, not at all. I think about, as you look at the, we just had a string of changes in the tax law. That's right. I think about for the person that's, let's say that there's the business owner that just sold. They said, Mm -hmm. I always wanted to buy a house, wherever that is. And oh, by the way, I've always wanted to have a restaurant, which seems to be normal, or I want to have a farm. (laughs) And you see that, or you know what? I think it's time for me to have an airplane, which typically is a kiss of death. And there's, I can tell, you know, so let's talk about potential airplane purchase. What are your thoughts when you hear somebody say that? Well, the first thing is I want to make sure they understand, are you going to use it? And are you thinking about, I'm going to buy a whole plane? Am I buying a fractional ownership? What's the thinking? But again, before you get to that, what's the reason you're thinking about doing this? Well, because I've got $500 million now and I can. That doesn't mean they should. Well, I fly twice a year. Okay, then it's probably not cost. Okay, well, are you going to buy the plane and then rent it out and charter it? And you're going to be in the charter business now? Oh, okay. So it's again, it's about throwing scenarios at them to get them to think about what's the reason they're really doing it. And if it's really just as a status or, you know, I feel like I should have one. Well, I'm not going to say always because there are no absolutes, but it sounds like that's probably not the best decision to be making. And it's helping them make that decision. There's tax ramifications that have to be thought about. So you want to make sure that the tax partner is involved in the conversation. What's deductible versus not deductible? Are you using it for a new business venture? No, it's all personal. Okay, so then none of it's deductible. So now it's after tax dollars. That means the money's coming out of your investment account. That means you're not putting it away. What does that mean? And I mean, look, sometimes it's worth it because the client needs it and it makes sense. Other times it's the client can afford it and they don't really need it, but they can afford it and they're going to do it because they want to. But we just try to help counsel them as to understand what's the reason you're doing it, you want it, and then what's the best way to structure it if you are going to proceed. It's funny, you know, you think about all the circumstances. So I'm that business owner. I just sold my business a short time ago. And you go, well, how's it going? Go on board. I don't know what to do with myself. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So what do you want to do? Well, I think I want to buy another business. And you go, mm. really? Interesting. What kind of business? The same thing I just sold. Okay. But I don't need the money. What are you doing? So for you, when you look at somebody that yeah. says, I've got money and I've got more than I need, and I want to take, and I enjoy working, and I want to buy another business, what might a conversation with that person look like? Well, again, it starts with, what's the reason? That's the first why. What's the reason we're having this dialogue? And what I've learned is, when I say to a client, why do you want to do that? Why? It comes off very negative. Yeah. And I've gotten smacked a few times, so I've learned <laughs> yeah. that's the reason I changed it now. Now I say, what is the reason that you're thinking about this? I want to understand. But you're exactly right. It's the why. Why are you doing this? And when they say, well, I'm bored. Okay, well, you want to go back into that business? Do you want to be an investor? Do you want to be an owner-operator? Like, which bucket do you really want to be in? And if you wanted to go back to work, See, that's why it's important to have the conversation and build the team pre-sale because I would hope that if I was on the team and I was talking to the client pre-sale, 
That's one of the first things. What's the reason you're going to sell the business? Well, I can cash out now. Great. What are you going to do day one after the business is sold? I have no idea. Well, we probably should figure that out mm-hmm. before you sell the business. And again, that's the reason it always happens. They don't really think about that. Phase three, they don't think about it. Exactly. And then it's like, okay, now what am I going to do? But I've seen clients that have come in and they've said, you know what? I'm going to be a car wash giant now and I'm going to go into franchising and I'm going to go buy a bunch of franchises and do that. Okay, well, we can help you do that. We know franchise brokers that can help you make those purchases and things like that. We can help vet it and make sure that it makes sense and that it's actually going to turn a profit or at the very least not lose money because sometimes you're just doing it again. Just, I want to have that restaurant. Restaurants historically is a low margin business that the stories are everywhere. How many people have lost their shirts over restaurants, but Hey, you know what? I want to be in the restaurant business and I can afford it and I'm going to spend this money and take the risk. There are plenty of people though for that have made a lot of money in the restaurant business. Again, it's about who are you going in the business with? So if you have the right teammate who's had success and we've had clients that have done the restaurant business, but they've done it with people that have already had success in that area and therefore we did not lose our shirts they've been profitable and they've actually gotten their money back. So it's always about the how. There's what you want to do, what does the client want to do, and then how you do it. And that's really what we focus on with them is how can we accomplish what you want to accomplish? Here's the math. Here's the markers. I was thinking about some of the clients, they said, well, I like to collect fill in the blank, cars, art, whatever. Art's a big one. Cars are also a big one. (laughs) A little harder to store, but mm-hmm. they're... You know, at some point, you kind of, how do you keep all the batteries charged up? I've seen that dance before with multiple chargers and go like, I don't remember how to start that one. It's an interesting <laughs> thing. You know, for some of the things that would stick in my mind. So you guys are not local along the front range of Colorado. And so there may be somebody that pushes back and go, I don't know that I can have a relationship with somebody that's on the East Coast. What would you say to that person? Well, I would say that I'd be happy to introduce them to the client that we have in Nashville. I'd be happy to introduce them to several of our LA clients. The client that I personally, I have a client that in London and I don't handle the UK stuff. We have a, someone over there that's handling all the Europe stuff, but everything that's over here in the US, that's what I'm handling. And the truth is, if you're worried about meetings, it's great. I can get on a plane and fly to wherever you are. If you're worried about how many times are you really going to come to the office and sit down with the bookkeeper and talk about bill pay. If you want to see me, we've got Zoom, we've got FaceTime. There's all kinds of options where we can do this kind of dialogue and we don't have to be in the same state. We don't even have to be in the same country. But I understand there are clients that I just want someone local. Okay, great. We can help find someone local, and we've done this with a few clients where they have a person that's maybe working out of their home and is their local contact, and then that person is reporting to us. So that's kind of how maybe we would solve something like that. But the truth is we've had a couple of clients here and there that didn't hire us because, well, I don't want to hire someone that's in New York when I'm in Colorado or 
I'm in Seattle. How am I going to work with somebody that time difference? Well, we would put our California person on it. She's in the same time zone. So we are a national firm with people all over the place, but we're in New York. Our office is in New York. Our employees are in New York. So we're New York centric, but we can work with anybody anywhere they are. You know, I, I just think about is the typical response from folks who go, and why do you back up and why do you go ahead? Before I forget, how can people find you on social media? Oh, well, so I am not on Facebook or Instagram because I'm not cool enough to be on either. So my daughters tell me, but I am on Twitter. And sometimes I will be ranting about my favorite football team up here. Where is that? The uh, New York Jets, who drive you crazy. Um, You know, but other times it's things that, hey, just want to let you know, here was an interesting article that was in Forbes and Mm -hmm. people should read it. So reach out to me on Twitter. It's at Evan Jaley, my full name. So how do you spell your last name? So it's E-V-A-N-J-E-H-L-E. We talked about that before. I said I would have pronounced it almost any other way because I grew up <laughs> in the Deep South. So there's no telling. You're also yeah. on LinkedIn, Evan Jaley. Right, correct. And I am on LinkedIn as well. And You're also, I think at, those are the two key ones that I'm communicating on. F-F-O, what's your website? It's www.ffollc.com. Okay. So for the folks, you know, what I want to make sure is, you know, one, they know how to reach you. Two, so I'm that business owner. I just sold my business. It says, you know, I think I want to reach out to Evan and have a discussion. And Mm -hmm. so walk me through kind of the process between where you start visiting with somebody and then when you decide to engage, what are the steps for you guys? So the first thing is usually a phone call with the client just to understand What's the reason we're chatting today? There's usually a pain point that gets them on the phone. Sometimes you get shoppers. Oh, I'm just kind of checking out the merchandise, trying to see what's for sale. And, you know, maybe I see something I'd like. You get those on occasion. But typically when we get someone who's coming in and they're a buyer, they're ready to really make a switch. It's like, okay, well, what happened? What's the pain point? And we try to understand that so then we can tell them, hey, we're right for you because we can solve the pain point. Here's how we would do that. And does that resonate with you? Sometimes we're not the right fit because let's say the problem they have is, you know, I don't like my asset allocation and I want to move advisors. Okay, well, look, I can recommend some people and we work with some really great advisors. I can help you vet people and can get involved, but that's all you need. Yes. Okay, well, we're happy to help, but that wouldn't be an ideal client because you're not paying us because we're not the investment advisor. So it's really about understanding the pain point, how we can solve it. And then once we figure that out, it would go to the next question always, how much does it cost? Mm -hmm. Okay, understandable. And we have a range of fees depending on kind of how much service you want. So I want the full gamut of services. Well, that's going to be in the higher range as opposed to, you know, I want some light bill pay and some bookkeeping and some budgeting help. That might be kind of in the lower to mid range, depending on the volume of transactions. We understand that. We'll put together a proposal. We'll send it to the prospect. They'll say yay or nay. 
a lot of times they'll say, all right, I'm meeting with two or three other people. And then hopefully they come back and wow them differently than the other people. Knock on wood. Usually that happens every now and then we don't get the gig. But I think the reason that people end up coming back to us is we have a track record in the industry. We've been around a long time. And again, the one thing that people don't ask enough is when we're able to start by saying the common question, what's the question I should have asked but didn't? Mm -hmm. And I always go back to, you didn't ask me, what's your internal controls to prevent anybody in your firm from stealing from me? And when you're giving up control and you're giving access to your bank account, that should be your first, second, and third question. Yeah, because we've seen the horror stories. We've seen them. Oh, yeah. All over the place, you know? I mean, Uma Thurman had the prime. I mean, you hear about it with celebrities a lot because they're flashier names, but it's not just celebrities. There are plenty of family offices that have come in. The newest craze is these hackers that hack your email. They sit there for months and figure out, all right, I know exactly how I'm going to word this email. And then they blow in an email from a fake email address, but it looks like the client and the advisor, oh, yep, sure, let me wire that money. And then whoop, gone. You should be asking me, what's my protocol? Because, well, the bank, right? The bank does a callback. If I'm the signer on the account, the bank's doing the callback with me and I'm approving it because I got the email, right? Not an FFO. You want to know what our process is internally so that we make sure you are actually the one making Mm -hmm. the request. And some clients, honestly, they get annoyed by it because I'll text them or I'll call them and I'll be like, hey, this request looks weird. I just want to make sure it's you. And it's like, oh my God, yes, it's me. Okay, well, would you rather have me just sent it out and then it wasn't you? I'd rather be that guy. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, you know, that's really the key question that you've got to ask those things. Again, it's not that, oh, you know, oh, I didn't think about that. You don't know to ask it, you know, you're Mm -hmm. just, it's not what you do. And a lot of advisors in my position, they may not have a good answer. I mean, I've heard people say, well, we're comfortable with that advisor because the answer was, well, the only person that can steal is me and I wouldn't do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sure that's the case. I trust you implicitly, but really? That's the answer? Yikes. Because that's the person to be most afraid of is the one that has unfettered power. I've been harassing you now for a fair amount of time. (laughs) Bless your heart. You know, I was thinking about the quality of a decision for a high net worth person and also trying to protect them where it's not just bill pay. It's trying to avoid some potholes, taking care of the family, de-risking, trying to look and say, do you have umbrella policy simply? Is it big enough? I mean, have you done anything to protect from lawsuits? What are you doing? If you're doing a new venture, are you titling that properly so they can't come get the rest of your money? What do you notice from the folks that are starting to use a company like yours on the depth or quality of their decisions? What do you see? Meaning when they're transitioning in, what are we and then when, And when they've been working with you guys for a period of time, what do you see? Right. Well, I think what we see when we're onboarding a client is it depends on if they've worked with somebody like us versus if they haven't. So if we're taking on a family and this is kind of their first family office experience where they haven't, 
a lot of times we find things that are missed. Early on in my career, we took on a new client. And one of the first things we do is we look at the PNC insurance. We're not insurance brokers, so we're not selling PNC insurance. But I am an accountant by training. I'm a CPA. So I look at a balance sheet, which has all of their assets. And I look down the balance sheet and I say, okay, well, oh, home number one. Where's the insurance policy for that? Check. Home number two. Check. Home number three. Ooh, I don't see. I must not have that. Let me call the insurance broker. What home number three? Oops. And it's because when you're paying for a home in cash, you don't have the bank sitting there saying, send me your insurance information. So here was a client that had a third home that they were actually renovating and doing construction on, and they did not have insurance. And that's crazy. If the thing would have burnt to the ground, they would have lost everything. Well, what if somebody fell off the roof? Yeah. I mean, so many things could have happened. Mm -hmm. So that's what a family office does versus if I were just your CPA. If I'm just your CPA, I'm doing a tax return and maybe I'm putting together a financial statement. The family office, I have to make sure that the insurance broker knows you just bought this piece of artwork. I have to make sure the tax team understands you just bought this piece of artwork and we didn't pay sales tax because it came from overseas. We have to pay use tax. It's coordinating with all these different various financial issues that pop up all day, every day. And so, you know, that's really the key is when we're onboarding a client, we're finding a lot of these things that get missed. Again, not the client's fault. They don't know and they didn't have anybody looking for these. Well, you know, and it could be that their advisors, it's not their fault either because you may have siloed advisors that don't know. That's right. Look, as an investment advisor, do you ask your client, send me your PNC insurance so I can check it against your balance sheet to make sure your home is properly insured? The answer is no. I mean, they don't do that. It's not their job. So if we're getting somebody that had a family office previously or a business manager, which is what the entertainers are using, then we tend to get general ledgers, we get backup, we get copies of bills. So it's a little bit easier on the transition because they have had somebody that, whether they did a good job or not is another story, but at least somebody was doing something along those lines and we have something to go by. So, you know, it really, again, it just depends on whether they had someone or not. After they've been working with us for a while, what you're seeing is us producing information to the client and then the client's able to make decisions with confidence because they actually know somebody's looked, somebody's given me this information, they have vetted it, and it's correct. You know, I and think so about now the, I can make a decision. The difference between data and intelligence. Data's data. Right. It's what you do with it. Yes. In thinking about this, the one thing that you said more than once, and I think I will close with this, is Evan, right. what didn't I ask you? that I should have asked you. (laughs) You thought I wasn't listening. (laughs) No, that's good. I love it. I think the one thing that I think people should ask again that maybe is what is the philosophy of client service that we have at FFO? Like, how are we looking to service our clients? Not in terms of, oh, this is the software that we're using, but what's the culture? 
What is your firm about that makes us have great employees that are great team members that therefore become great client service people? And again, that's something that a lot of people don't ask. So we work very hard on the culture of our firm. And when people don't fit the culture, when we're hiring people, we ask questions differently because we're looking for people to fit. So our culture is competitive innovation. That's what it's about. What that means is not competition. I have to be better than Rick. It doesn't do with Rick. I have to be better and more innovative tomorrow than I am today. What am I doing in terms of my learning and development so that I'm a better client service person next week than I was this week? And it's always about learning and dealing with the clients in a way where, look, I've made mistakes. I've talked to clients and pissed them off. And they've said, you're out of your mind. I wouldn't have said it that way. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. So it's learning from those experiences and not being afraid to make a mistake. If you're afraid to make a mistake, it's like in football, you're playing prevent defense. I'm playing not to lose. And what always happens? You lose. So it's about just not being afraid to make that mistake and really go and innovate. So it's not just about learning. It's about how can I do things better, differently than I've been doing it. And we try to resonate that throughout the whole firm. And that's what we do with our development plans for our employees and our team members is we're working with them to create a culture where you know what? I want to try to do this for a client. Okay, great. You're going to do it. I'm going to help you. We're going to get great client service. But when you have, the reason I'm saying this is when you have team members that are part of your team that are looking to be better in themselves, you tend to get much better client service people because they're sitting here saying, I want to achieve. I want to get things done and I want to be better for the client. So the results for the client tend to be better. And again, that's something that a lot of people, they don't ask and you did not ask it, but it is something that I do think is important. And it is something that we're very proud of here at FFO. And I don't know if I'm being corny, but that's, no, that's you know, the it, reason that we're so passionate about. Well, it's, it's the reason we're having this discussion because what I'm interested in bringing to bear is understanding what specialists do understand how that fits in with the client requirement. Like I'll tell clients many times, this is it's okay not to do. It's just not okay not to know. And so right. you've got to know. Yeah. And if you're not a lifelong learner, then you're going to get run over at some point. And so got to sharpen right. the saw all the time. You know, so for yeah. you guys, I think closing for the folks that are listening out there is, you know, if you didn't know that this is available, well, good, now you know. And if you didn't know who to reach out to to get informed, now you know as well. Talk to Evan. And That's I think right. as the world gets more complex, and the one thing you can't buy more of is time, as far as I know, you take a look and is, is it really worth the money you're spending or would you really rather have the time? And if you think the quality of your decisions will go up by the quality of the data that you can start seeing, if you can't figure out your numbers, you're apt to make a wrong decision. And so yeah. I really appreciate you guys taking the time, you in particular, and I met Rick out in San Jose before. So I appreciate you sharing your wisdom this afternoon, which is now this evening at your location. <laughs> Yep. Great. No, thank you for having me on. And for everyone that's listening, thank you for hearing me repeat myself a few times. And you know, I hope it's helpful. And if anyone has any questions or really just wants to understand the family office industry or what's going on, just reach out to me and happy to help. Super. Well, I sure appreciate it, Evan. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.
Everyone have a great night slash day, wherever you are. Absolutely.